My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 50 Objects podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 50 Objects podcast. I wanted to open the show today with a question. How impactful is music to you in your life? I ask that because I read an article recently about a rabbi living in post-World War II torn Europe. According to the article, at the outset of the Holocaust, many Jewish families gave their children to Christian neighbors, orphanages, and convents in the hopes of saving them from the Nazis. The parents hoped that they or their relatives would recover the children after the war. Nobody knew how high and terrible the death rates in the concentration camps would be, so when Germany finally went under, a number of rabbis took it upon themselves to recover these children. The story goes that as the rabbis met with orphanages and convents, they were frequently told that there was no children from Jewish homes in their institutions. Many of the children were left alone, and they couldn't sort them out without the proper paperwork. Unfortunately for the rabbis, Due to the speed at which Jews were collected at the outset of the war, no paperwork was available. So, what to do? The rabbis felt as if these Jewish children were not only stripped of their entire families, but of their Jewish culture and history as well. Many of these children would never be recovered. So the story goes that Rabbi Eleazar Silver had a plan. Upon entering a monastery and being told that there was no way to confirm which children were Jewish, the rabbi asked if he could just see all the children before they went to bed. As the rabbi would enter the children's sleeping quarters, he would find rows and rows of tiny beds. Many of these children had been here for years. As the children were laying down, the rabbi would begin to sing the Shema. Now, if you don't know what the Shema is, for the Jewish community, it means, Hear, O Israel. Those are the first two words of a section of the Torah in the book of Deuteronomy. Jews are commanded to sing those words as their first prayer in the morning and the last words as they go to bed each night. Faithful Jewish mothers sang those words as their children fell to sleep every night before the war. So as the rabbis marched down the rows of tiny beds, they sang Shema O Israel. And immediately, all of the Jewish children began to sing along or scream for their missing mothers as tears fell down their cheeks. This is how they found their children, through music. That is a beautiful and touching story, and it helps demonstrate the impression that music can leave upon people. That impression is not just literary, but physical as well. Science is now just confirming the physical changes that take place through the singing of music. Researchers at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden are currently publishing findings on the physical changes that take place when we sing, especially with others. According to their research, when you sing with a group of people, not only does the breathing become the same as you recite the words, but according to their research, in almost no time, all of the singer's heart rates become synchronized. Thus, when singing together, a shared musical experience can literally touch your heart. When President Ronald Reagan won the office for the most powerful position in the world in 1981, he was looking for a way to use his inauguration speech to excite Americans about the next four years. 
But how could that be done in an inauguration ceremony? After some planning, he would say the following, quote, At my first inauguration as President of the United States, I wanted very much to reignite the fires of liberty and re-inspire the American spirit. After the ceremony, he'd go on to say the choir singing was a highlight of our inauguration as we knew it would be. I'm sure I speak for all Americans when I say thank you for saying so well what all of us feel about this land of the free and home of the brave. There is no more inspirational moment for any American, and that includes myself, than to hear this choir sing. End quote. Very high praise for a choir that President Reagan would dub America's Choir. That nickname would catch on, and if you Google who is America's Choir, they come up first. So, who inspired such high praise from the 40th President of the United States? Today's object is the Choir at Temple Square. So, what is the Choir at Temple Square, and how did it come about? If you listen to episodes 18 and 32, we discuss details around the construction of both the Kirtland and Nauvoo temples. An important feature in the construction of both buildings were pews for the choir. Early church leadership emphasized the importance of appropriate music in both sacred and secular events, and in episode 16 we even discussed how Joseph Smith had assigned his wife Emma to organize a set of hymns for the first hymn book of the church. From the earliest days after Joseph requested the members to gather in Kirtland to this very day, there has always been a standing choir located at church headquarters. So, following suit, 29 days after the members first entered the Salt Lake Valley, Brigham Young wanted to hold the first church conference before heading back east to collect his family. The conference would need appropriate music, So Brigham Young collected any and all musicians from the advanced parties and formed a small choir that could sing in the conference. These were the roots and the beginnings of the choir at Temple Square. With all his plannings and calculations taking place for Salt Lake, I doubt that Brigham Young had any idea that this choir would become so accomplished. So let's roughly review the development of the choir. Two years after the choir was organized in 1847, they went from being a rough group of volunteers to really sounding professional when a talented group of singing converts arrived in the valley from Wales. Over the next couple of decades, the rank of volunteers in the choir would swell to over 300 people. However, that choir won't leave Utah to perform until 1893. That year, the choir would perform for the first ever time outside of Utah, as they competed in the Chicago World's Fair, winning second place and $1,000. More impressive, however, to the church leadership was the reception the choir received across the states. President Wilford Woodruff, the president of the church in 1893, would note in his journal how amazed he was. Whereas in 1834, he couldn't even cross through Jackson County, Missouri and admit that he was a Mormon, now the city mayor of Independence was welcoming them to the city all because they love listening to the choir. Talk about music changing hearts. After its success at the Chicago World's Fair, the choir would then begin to tour over the next 20 or so years across the western states, performing their music and getting wonderful reviews in the newspapers. But it wouldn't be until 1910, 63 years after its creation, 
that the Tabernacle Choir would record its first ever album in Salt Lake City. The following year, the choir would perform for the President of the United States, William Howard Taft. And in 1955, the choir would go on its first international tour. Over the course of six weeks, they'd perform in Holland, Denmark, Switzerland, Germany, France, and of course, the Great Britain. At this point, the choir had become the face of the church to many members, but had also gained a national following of non-members. Many were surprised when, in 1965, Lyndon B. Johnson requested the choir sing at his inauguration ceremony. Though the church hadn't felt support by U.S. presidents to this point, they'd become a bit of a staple in inauguration ceremonies, as they'd be invited back to perform in the inauguration ceremonies of Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, as we discussed in the intro, he coined the nickname America's Choir, and they also performed at the inauguration ceremonies of George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, and Donald Trump. The Tabernacle Choir now performs weekly in Salt Lake City, and it tours globally. Now, let's pause for a minute and talk a bit about the effect that the choir has had on church growth as a whole. In 1998, the church was struggling to break into countries in Western Europe. The choir then decided to go on tour with the goal to, quote, make friends with the people and raise the level of acceptance of the church and its members in countries visited, end quote. Probably sounds kind of silly and light-minded as a goal, but it seemed to really work. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf, who was serving as president of Western Europe, would say, quote, The church's growth here in the next century will be built on the results of these concerts. End quote. Think about that statement for a moment. The growth of the church will be dependent on the outcomes of those concerts. Quite a statement. Elder Uchtdorf wasn't the only one to say that kind of stuff. Elder Cook also said at the end of the European tour that he'd never known the church to get more press than they did from that tour. He'd go on to say that he didn't know of anything that had brought the church out of obscurity in that time that he'd been in Europe more than the choir. Huge praise from high-ranking members of the church. The church is now using the choir to open doors where common word of mouth doesn't seem to be working. Now, what has the choir accomplished? Since that first recorded album in 1910, The choir at Temple Square has released more than 175 albums, including two that have sold over a million copies. The choir even received a Grammy Award for the recording of the Battle Hymn of the Republic in 1959 and were nominated for Grammy Awards in 1967, 2007, and 2009. I'm still waiting for them to perform at the Grammys. Just pencil them in after Maroon 5 or something. Now, aside from recording albums, the church decided in 1929 to broadcast a weekly Sunday morning broadcast called The Music and the Spoken Word, where the choir would perform live music accompanied with short inspirational talks and scriptures. This radio program is now the oldest continuous nationwide network broadcast in America. It has produced over 4,000 episodes and airs on over 2,000 radio and television stations. Again, if only Brigham Young could have realized what he was doing when he created this choir. Now, who can sing in the choir? In order to sing in the choir, one must be an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, live within 100 miles of Temple Square in Salt Lake City, 
and be between the age of 25 and 55, and obviously qualify through a rigorous audition process. Choir members aren't paid, and aside from touring, they are expected to practice and perform on average of over five hours a week with the choir. Now, where can you see the choir perform? Like I mentioned earlier, they perform weekly on Sunday mornings at Temple Square in Salt Lake City. You can watch it on TV or stream it online. If you aren't in Utah, you can go to their YouTube page, which has over 100 million views. The music from the choir was featured in a number of movies like Madagascar, A Christmas Story, Evan Almighty, and a bunch more. So in closing, the purpose of the choir at Temple Square is to share the church's message through music and establish bonds of friendship. One of my favorite quotes that I read about all of this was from a governmental official in Brussels who stated after listening to the choir for the first time, quote, We've never really understood your people, but you've given us a whole new appreciation for what Mormon means. In terms of your concert and its themes tonight, it was absolutely magnificent. And if the songs you sing are the things you believe, then we know who you are, end quote. The choir obviously isn't a traditional object, but just as those Jewish rabbis use the Shema to find Jewish children across Europe, the music of the Tabernacle Choir has helped Americans and Christians globally find common ground with the growing church. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and 50 Objects, Episode 40, Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. Now, we have just 11 episodes left in this series and a whole lot of history to cover. I hope you'll join me in the rest of the shows. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please like it or share it on social media, or leave me a review on iTunes and help spread the word. Thank you again for listening.